Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Happy Thanksgiving. We are releasing this Thanksgiving Day, so you have a soundtrack. If you don't feel like hearing your family argue, stick some earbuds in. Listen to us instead. Also, this is the last day before Mariah Carey Christmas season begins. So this is really the time to enjoy all other audio that you have, because that's what you're going to be hearing for the next month or so. I know some people mistakenly now, and I don't know why they've decided that Halloween happens in the November 1st, is Christmas season. I guess they can't wait. But traditionally, and I'm very traditional, you have to follow the traditional path, which would be Thanksgiving happens the next day, Mariah Carey season. That's how we've always done it. That's how we will always do it here at Near and Queer to My Heart. I'm really excited for this episode. This is our first returning guest. We have Jeff D, comedian, writer, filmmaker, director. He does it all. Very excited to have him on the show. Jeff D and I recently... I went to Pensacola for a queer comedy festival. He headlined. I was just part of the festival, but I definitely rode those headliner coattails because we drove together. I'm always happy to to talk with him. He's hilarious all the time, and I'm thankful that he came back, and we get to get an update from him. And yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. Let's take it away with Jeff D. And this is our first episode where we have somebody back. You did our episode 10, which was our first live episode, uh, which we did at Crescent City Books. Our first and only live episode up until this point. But I wanted to have you back because so much, I mean, that was three years ago at this point. Right. And so much has happened with your career, with your personal life, with everything that I just thought it would be really awesome to have you back so we can delve into some things that we weren't able to before. Because the whole point of this podcast was to delve into performers' lives beyond the stage and to get to know you. And then I'm like... So, okay, so you have, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes on stage, but that's not all of Jeff D. There's more to that. So we did the podcast and we do our episodes and then it's like, but there's still more to a person than an hour. Like I've, I've upped it a little bit, but I haven't completely like right. fixed the problem. <laughs> when do I get my eight hour interview, like a whole season of where, like my memoir? That you got to do on your own. Okay. All right. Self-publish on Amazon like everyone else Good did. to know. During COVID, they were just like, yep, yeah, I'm going to write a memoir and I can self-publish it. So now I'm my friends have to fucking buy it. (laughs) 
It's not a bad idea. I'm yeah. just saying, you know, John Grisham actually self-published A Time to Kill and sold it out of the trunk of his car before a publishing company picked it up. So, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey was self-published. So, like, every, well, I know, I just bullshit. <laughs> but everybody, everybody looks down on self-publishing. But I actually, I want to write, I've, I've got this thing that I think I'm going to become a mystery writer. I actually got certified to be a private investigator oh. because I want to write <laughs> books about a gay PI living in Louisiana, right? So you're committed. I'm committed, man. Well, during COVID, of course, <laughs> the, the, it was in Lake Charles, Louisiana. They were doing the classes. And of course, COVID didn't exist there. So they were having the classes. And I was like, I'm going to go do this. And so I want to write those books. And I will probably have to self-publish them, you know, but who knows where it could lead. And I don't care. I just got to come mm. up with a cool publishing name and build my own empire, man. Yeah. Have you taken any cases? But hell no. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not a, a licensed PI. I'm simply certified. I'm, I'm sorry. Certified may be the wrong word. I passed the exam so I can get a license if okay. I pay the money. But a lot of people are under the misconception that you can just be a PI. You can, but you have to work for somebody else for two years before oh. you can get your own. I thought you just put a sign up. No, 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 no. There's a little more to it, right? <laughs> so any of the PI, the gay PIs out there listening, um, I know what I'm doing, and I'm not just gonna, you know, start like taking pictures of queers cheating on each other. He took a class. Although that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that'd be some bread and butter right there. Yeah. You know, and they it actually doesn't pay very well. So like I'm not gonna Well until you get the money shot. Until you That's well, why it's called the money shot. Right. You know, taking the class was enough for me for right now. You know, maybe I'll go and work for one or do something for a little more research later. I'll see how the first book comes out. But yeah. Um, for right now, that's all. Well, um, how's it? So we're like kind of post, I guess we call it post COVID. Like uh -huh. we're out, me and you, probably not proper grammar, you and I, my mother listens to this. She Wait, will, but isn't it, is it I'm me and out, you? me. I don't know. I, I said no, them, I guess it's I. Yeah, yeah, I said them both, so one of them's right. Right, right. Um, but we just went to Pensacola, Florida for the Pensacola Pride Comedy yes. Festival, and you were a headliner for that. And oh, we right. got to do live comedy for a full weekend, and we introduced someone to Bucky's, which was the highlight of the trip besides the comedy. Right. <laughs> Bucky's is an amazing place. It's the Walmart of truck stops, in yes. case you don't know it out there. I was going to ask you to describe it, but that's the perfect thing. Oh, it's like okay. yeah. you just walk into Bucky's and it's insanity. I mean, they sell fresh chopped barbecue sandwiches. I mean, come on now. And also tchotchkes. Tchotchkes, <laughs> you know, like, yes. And, and American flags and barbecue pits. Yeah. And they start their employees at uh, $14 an hour, I think. And, yeah. and the kitchen, if you work in the kitchen, I think you start at $16 an hour. So yeah, it's like, good for Bucky's. Bravo Bucky's. <laughs> yeah, put loves out of business. Yeah, but how did it feel getting back out there and like headlining a full weekend of comedy shows and being also, uh, I'm going to ask a million questions at once, but also like being in a queer comedy space? That was awesome. It was awesome because I got to get up there and say whatever the hell I wanted. You know, working here in the South and being a working comic, I have to be, I have to go in front of a lot of audiences that are filled with people that aren't necessarily my people, right? And that's just to make the money. And of course, I'm not going to uh, make things uncomfortable or alienate everyone because then I won't get paid mm -hmm. um, and I need to keep my HBO. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I don't deny who I am. I'm always out and proud and, you know, but I stray away from more controversial issues um, or more controversial comedy. I did a show in Chattanooga a few weeks ago and um, I told the club owner, 
I was like, you know, I've written a lot of new stuff. I just don't think you people are going <laughs> to like it very much, you know. So, but it felt really great being in front of a lot of queer people and being on stage again. It felt really good. Really, really good. Yeah, I was just so happy to be a part of that and, and that energy and that space. And just to know like comedy can come back because the other debate, which I don't think is a debate anymore, but it's like COVID happened. And then we were like, what's live comedy going to look like post a year of not doing it? And people maybe being like, we don't actually need comedy. Mm, no, I, that's not what people did was they started to say we don't need online comedy, <laughs> right? Like they don't want to see that anymore. And it's really fucking hot outside. So let's bring comedy back indoors. Like I know that there were some people who really thrive with their outdoor shows. Jeff D won't be doing them <laughs> because it is hot, right? Like, I mean, let's go back inside. Air conditioning is our friend, and I'm vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, I don't give a shit about you. Oh, look, it's your, you know, that's what I say. I'm like, I did this for me and for you, and if you choose not to do that, that's your gamble. Yeah, I mean, like, you can't you can't hurt me anymore, so <laughs> I'll see you in heaven. I mean, you know, Fauci says I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. So... And I'm totally going to shift gears, but this is something that I did want to talk about that I think is important, not just in the performing context, but obviously in just life in general, but like you are sober now yes, and I you am. have been sober for how long? Uh, well, I quit drinking last November and I had one relapse that was a day, but so I quit drinking last November, but I've actually not had a drink technically in 30 days. And I'm not really counting the days, but I just looked at it today. When I do a meeting, I have to look at it because I have to talk, yeah, I have to just, say yeah. it. And so, yeah, I was going, you know, I, I, went, I was going down a, a dark hole and I had to stop that train immediately. You know, but I don't want to, I also don't regret or get down on myself for the relapse that I did have. I might have another one. It's day by day, you know, like um, what I do know is I have a lot of good things going on right now, and it's not worth the risk of having all that going down the crapper because I like to get fucked up. And was there, you don't have to share it if it's too personal, but was there a moment when you were like, hey, I need to stop this, or you were like, I always knew like there was a time when I would have to say, like, I can't continue yes. this? Well, there really, <laughs> I mean, like, there really, there wasn't like a rock bottom moment. I have just made so many bad decisions in my life. Um, and being a comic makes it very difficult to see, you know, that, that you need to change because, you know, we're so, our bad decisions are very uh, supported and enabled by people. You know, they send shots up to mm -hmm. the to the stage and, hey, you want to come do a bump of cocaine in the bathroom with me? Of course I do. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, we're very, I mean, find, you know, if you, if you sit in a room full of comics, 98% of them are high, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. on weed or coke or whatever it is, right? You know, we like to get fucked up. We are dark, tortured people. <laughs> we like to, you know, change our uh, perception. And so I had made, tons of bad decisions dangerous decisions but the day i real i really realized that it nothing really crazy had happened but i woke up in the morning and i felt like complete shit i had drank about almost 20 beers and a whole bottle of fireball whiskey the night wow. before like the big bottle but i just said god damn enough's enough you know, this is, I'm killing myself and I can feel it. I can feel myself mm. dying. I actually got to a place, you know how you're supposed to be able to see your future and see what you want to be and see what you want to do. And I got to a place where I couldn't see anything anymore. And, um, you know, it, it, it was either continued down that, that road of nothingness or 
you know, take the one thing out that uh, that everybody said was giving me the depression <laughs> and the bad stuff. You Listen know, like, to everybody. Like, yeah, everybody's like, you know, it's, you should probably quit drinking and you should you should probably get sober. And I'm like, nah, that's not the issue. You're like, but yeah. Turns it's, out it was. It's my childhood. Yeah, no, I can't yeah. fix that. Actually, my childhood was fine. That's the really terrible part. Like, I have two very supportive parents. They're conservatives. They're, I mean, it took them a while to get with the gay thing, but. They did, and they love my husband, and, you know, he's part of the family as far as they're concerned, and they've never did I ever feel like I wasn't loved, even if they were, like, didn't understand it or didn't want to talk about mm -hmm. it. You know, they never, they're not very religious people, so, you know, there was never a, you're going to hell, or you're not loved. I always felt loved, so I was very lucky. There's not anything tragic or uh, that I, I just love to get fucked up. And I started in college and I just never stopped. I understand that because I'm like, I like, I, I enjoy drinking. Mm -hmm. It's a, a thing I enjoy and I, I don't think other people enjoy it in the same way that I, that I do. But Oh, I, I think they do. <laughs> <laughs> but not ever, you know, it's like, the, like, I always am like, people come home from work and to unwind, they have one glass of wine. And I'm like, I've never done that in my fucking no. life. No. I don't understand why. I'm like, why bother? I hate those people. Like, just eat some food if you're going to have calories. Right. Right, that's one glass of wine is enough to piss me off. Like, there's no way, no way I'm stopping there. My husband can do that. Carlo yeah. can absolutely have one glass of wine. Sometimes he'll have two, and he's yeah. tipsy, and he's happy, and he's bubbly, and that's it. And I yeah. cannot do that. If I have one beer, I'm going to have 20. So. Yeah. And I'm going to shoot uh, whiskey, and I'm probably <laughs> going to get cocaine, because my guy delivers. So They make it too easy now, too. They do, and my, my coke guy was so sweet. When I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going, because he, he would always say, hey, I'm going to be in town, if yeah. you, need me, you know, and I'm like, hey, I'm actually, you know, stopping, and I'm, I'm, I'm quitting everything, and he goes, okay, well, you know, you know, hey, you know, like, good luck to you, I hope everything, Aww. and I was like, this is so fucking sweet, I wish you would get a legitimate business yeah. that I could support, like, you know, get a fucking food truck or yeah. something that I can, you know, yeah, buy other spaghetti from. would be like, I'll just leave this sample here, just in case, you know, right, no, pre right. no pressure, I have my number right here. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah, he was very, very supportive. <laughs> my, I think that a lot of people, even people I got fucked up with, were like, yeah, you know, you <laughs> It's probably time that you, you yeah. stopped. So. How is that? Because with comedy, I know for me, I don't drink every night, but when I do shows and oftentimes, like you said, people give you shots, they give you drinks, oftentimes we're paid in drinks. Mm -hmm. How is it being in those spaces where this stuff is available and where you've, you know, obviously, not obviously, but where you've indulged in it before? Yeah. How is that? Is it a struggle or are you past that point? Well, I'm going to tell you, being on stage and being sober I've done shows sober in the past, right? But never like for a long stretch. It was always, oh, I did one sober yeah. and then the next one I was drunk. And you know, like, or if I was doing a few shows, well, I got fucked up the night before. So tonight's show is sober because I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm going to eat and go home. You know what I mean? But I have been so clear and I feel like I've been doing very well on stage. I feel like I've had some of the best shows um, I've ever had since I quit drinking. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I can remember them. Yeah. You know, honestly, being in the places, I was very, I was very nervous about it. I was very scared about how it would affect me. And sometimes my brain starts thinking, and and you know, I have to shut it down. But that's every addict goes through that. But you know, some days are worse than others. But honestly, uh, it's been okay. It's been fine. I always thought that I needed to be scared of the comedy festival where all the gays were going to be. The the weekend in a town that I have always gotten fucked up 
in in the past when I've gone there and partied mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And and it turns out that the thing I need to be most worried about or concerned or watch is just a Sunday afternoon when I'm bored, right? That's when the brain really starts going. Oh, the boredom will get you. Yeah, and I don't have the 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 stage to sort of distract me from what's going on in my head. Because no matter what, I've got to get on that stage and be funny. Whether I have a drink or not, I've got to get up there and do my job. Um, but at home on a Sunday where there's nothing on TV and I don't feel like watching any of my movies and, you know, and I just, that's when, that's when the, the alcoholic brain can really get loud. I definitely like during COVID, especially when nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. Like the first few months of COVID, I didn't drink at all because I was just like, still figuring out my world. And then it was like, well, why not drink? I'm not going anywhere. I'm not driving anywhere. There's nothing. I'm not missing anything. And then and then you go through that, and then you're just like, well, but I don't need to do this. It's kind right. of this weird back and forth. I drank a lot during COVID. I mean, clearly, you know, and that's when I just started going. COVID pushed me off the cliff, but it also saved me because, mm-hmm. you know, I got sober, well, toward the end, I guess, of, of COVID. So, I mean, it really made me look at who I was. I couldn't be out and party and be around all these other drunk people. It was me being fucked up and my husband being mad at me because we were at home all the time, yeah. right? And I yeah. couldn't, it's not like I could be like, well, if you're going to be mad, fuck you, I'm going to the bar. <laughs> it was not open. So, you yeah, know, I, like, I could have walked the... to the park, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's about it. I'll go on the other side of the couch. Exactly. <laughs> so... So one of the things, I'm going to switch gears again, because I had some things I want to talk about, but like, I love, I mean, obviously I love your comedy, big fan, long time listener. One of the things I really do love, and I think this has come out more like, you know, with your sobriety is, um, it's a thing that Margaret Cho always did and that I always loved. And especially like for queer comics to do it where like you have your jokes and then you have these almost like teachable moments or, or moments when you talk about something like very serious, Mm. um, like a homophobia or queer bashing or anything like that. And then you immediately go right back into a joke. So like we have this moment of like, Hey, we're going to acknowledge we're at, at the queer, comedy festival we are at a queer comedy festival here's what it means to have a queer comedy festival where an, uh, the shows were sold out where everybody's rooting for us nobody's picketing us nobody's beating us up yeah. like to acknowledge that moment and have this like serious moment and then just go right back into like you know some dick jokes yeah <laughs> I was gonna say cope off a guy's dick but like cope I didn't. off a guy's <laughs> dick that, that's a very funny bit I'm doing right now you know? yeah I was like I don't want to spoiler alert for anybody spoiler <laughs> alert Jeff D loved to do cocaine <laughs> off of dicks I did I, I, I still do you know I just can't do it but yeah. I still love it yeah the love hasn't gone away it's a away. very fun thing I know you're a lesbian Amanda but if you ever get the opportunity you should dive right in not interested in, in pursuing that <laughs> that line I'll just do it off key do, do, yeah. do, do lesbians do coke off vaginas or yeah I was gonna say or... I don't think it works that way maybe no? maybe titties I don't I don't do coke so yeah maybe I've titties never... titties work yeah. too titties I, like, I feel titties. like that would be a better yeah um, you lick the titty you gotta yeah lick the... I've never done cocaine because the first time I when I was in college one of my uh, friends moved to Vegas and so my other friend and I were like we're gonna help you move and we're gonna stay at your house in Vegas for a fucking week and we're gonna go ape shit because okay. you know why not right now. Uh, we like stole wine from Caesar's palace like we were just being like <laughs> Fucking, you know, we. How old were you? I was 24? 22. 22. <laughs> 
was like last week. Right. <laughs> but anyway, she was working at a construction company, and so all these construction guys were partying with us, and I, my friend and I got there late, and everyone was like fucking coked out of their goddamn brains, and that was the first time I'd been around anybody on cocaine, and it was like watching that. I get that they think they were talking really slow, and that their stories had endings or even yeah. beginnings. I was like, this doesn't seem fun, you know, to like have that perspective. They were having a great time though. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, oh, Coke is fun. Don't <laughs> don't get it twisted. It yeah. is, so you've never done it before. No. Well, good for you. Don't do yeah. it. But it is very fun when you're in that crazy situation. You're having a great time. Yeah. No, they like I said, they they were, but on the outside perspective, I was like, I don't know if I want this. I also never wanted to uh, put anything up my nose. That was not. Uh. A, you know, like I did one COVID test and that was, I was like, this is terrible. Like, Coke, why do... Coke is better than a COVID test. I'll just say that. Look, why am I... I, I did not come here to defend cocaine. You and know? here we are. Right, and here we are. No, I asked you a very serious comedy question. Right. Well, so what's the question? You just said that you like it when I do oh, serious yeah. stuff. Yeah, I know. Um, I guess the question is, is that... In t- I didn't get to the question because we got distracted by right. the dicks and the cocaine. Dicks and, and cocaine. Uh, obviously, that's, you know... Always <laughs> But I guess the question is, is that's something that you're intentionally doing that you think about doing that you're you know that that's your goal or is that something that just comes out from being on stage or just feeling comfortable in a queer space and is that something that you're you know looking to do in the future adding some like extra layers to your comedy or your your work it is 100% intentional it is something I write uh it is something that I plan on doing and Yes, it is something that I plan on doing more of. I actually, it's funny because when, whenever I, we do these interviews, it always seems like I'm in some kind of transition in mm-hmm. who I am as an artist. And I'm tired of bars. I'm tired of doing bars. I really would like to start doing theaters, even little small things. I mean, I'm not, you know, delusional. They're not mm-hmm. going to book me at the Mahalia Jackson anytime soon. But like, you know, the smaller theaters in Jackson, Mississippi, and, you know, that seat 150 people. I'd love to start doing shows there and make it more of a one-man show uh, a little more theatrical and less of just a straight stand-up show. I'm tired of bars. It's not just sobriety. I'm just tired of bars, <laughs> you know, and, and, and for sobriety purposes as well. Yeah. You know, I really want to, if I'm going to keep doing stand-up, I need it to start to feed my artistic soul. And just being in a bar uh, and making people laugh is not feeding my soul. Being told no by club owners or not being responded to because I'm gay and they don't think I'm going to play well to their audiences, you know, and they, so they just don't respond to my calls or don't respond to my emails, even though several headliners and other club owners tell them, you've got to book mm-hmm. this guy and they can't even bother to send me a, an email. But, and I know why it is. It's been going on my entire life, right? Yeah. It's because they go, oh, he's gay and that's not going to play here in Birmingham. Him, but it will. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm we're in, everywhere. We, yeah, we're everywhere. You know, and, and we pe- pay good money. This is what these companies are learning. I didn't mean to cut you off, but with all this corporate shit for Pride, mm-hmm. and I am wearing Pride Reeboks right now. But the corporations, you know, they are in one way they are saying like, hey, gay people have fucking money, and they want to spend it on clothes and apparel and experiences and all these things. On the other hand, I understand where we're like. Where were you 20 years ago? You know, where were you when like this was actually more controversial than it is now? Yeah, I'm 44 now, you know. And so now when I was living in L.A. in my 20s doing, you know, the improv and the comedy store and all the clubs down there, I had famous comedians tell me, don't go gay. Don't tell them you're gay because you'll turn them off. Don't do it. Don't, you know. And when I was on the road with a comic, you know, she was like, don't don't tell them you're gay in this room. It's very, you know, I, I don't want them to turn against you. You know, and I went through all that shit. 
shit. And now they're like, if you're gay, we'll give you an HBO thing. You know, like they want they want queer comedy and, yeah. and gay comedy, but they want them young and they want them pretty. Yeah. Maybe not too queer. You know what I mean? Like we were just talking earlier about the pretty queer girl who gets it, who's actually bi, you know, but the big diesel dyke isn't getting a... You know, Jen Snyder, who's yeah. hilarious, mm -hmm. isn't getting uh, an HBO special. My friend Jen Cober, who's hilarious, isn't getting her HBO special. You know, like, but and I think that they all should get one. They're yeah. funny. They've been doing this for years. Yeah. You know, but they want the new talent, and I get that, and that's fine. But there is a part of me that is resentful that, you know, oh, now we're here, and... So I've got to sort of claw my way through the ageism now, right? Yeah. It's not just the... There's another thing. Right, right. You know, like, and so... And I'm not that old. I'm 44, you know, but... But, you know, and I... But there are others like me who are in their late 50s, 60s, you know, even 70s who have had to deal with this forever. And now it's cool to be queer. And we want to put... Well, you need to give some voices to the people who fought for the point of view where we're at now, you know? Um, and that is all people of color, trans people, you know, like all, all of us, this entire group of alphabet freaks that we are, right? There are older ones out there too, yeah. you know? And we still have shit to say. So do you think that even though there, there are more queer performers out there, more queer stand-up specials, that they're still like, you need to look like this? Like, Oh, I'll, absolutely. I'll give the example. So I'm like, like low-key obsessed with the movie The Prom on Netflix. It was originally a Broadway play. And, right. it, and on Broadway, the main character is presented much more butchy mm -hmm. than the movie. In the movie, she's definitely like wearing makeup. And she has like suits, but they're like more girly. And they're like one-piece kind of outfits instead of like just like a suit. And she wears a dress at one point And like, you know, there's all these different things where it's like, so they kind of took this character that was not written that way and they kind of shifted her to be more palatable, I mm -hmm. guess. I hate that. Um, and I was like, are you seeing that happening with comedy? Is that, you know... Something? Well, absolutely it's happening with comedy. They're not giving, you know... That's the way Hollywood entertainment is always going to be. And fuck them for that. Because I, you know, you were playing that while we were in Florida. And I think it's a <laughs> shit movie. But I watched some of it. And it just doesn't read right with her. With this pretty, you know, this gorgeous young actress who's like, you know, I'm different. No, you're not, mm -hmm. bitch. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to see the butch girl. Yeah. I want to see the girl I went to high school with who actually looked like that. You know, I want, that's realism. Right. And I think I honestly think that in filmmaking that there is starting to be a shift away from that kind of glossy, pretty, colorful, what looks good kind of filmmaking. Once again, like there was in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we're starting to get a little darker, a little grittier. Yeah. Like, you know, you see like Nomadland won Best Oscar. Minari. Yeah. Which was a Par uh, Parasite, yeah, which was just an ugly little movie. And yeah. it was great. You yeah. know, like that was Although I do love sometimes the like I to me the best movie that came out last year was was um, promising promising young, young woman okay I yes, was like was that promising that young better, woman and that was beautifully filmed it was gorgeous it was very glossy was intentional right? but it was it was also based and steeped in realism right even though mm -hmm. it was kind of like this revenge fairy tale right you know to me out of all the movies even nomadland god mm -hmm. bless you Frances mcdormand i think you're one of the greatest actors oh, she's wonderful. ever but nobody is gonna watch nomadland and 
10 years, right? They're not going to be like, you know, do you remember Nomadland? Oh my God. Promising young woman, young people are going to talk about it. It's going to, it's it's like Heather's, yeah. right? Like it's going to, <laughs> it's going to last. I yeah. Think. Well, also, honestly, Nomadland, which I loved and it was beautifully filmed and I, I love how they incorporated people that actually lived yeah. that life into it and it wasn't just like Hollywood saying like, this is how it is. It's like people got to tell their own stories, but I also don't know how many times I would watch it. Right. I would watch Promising Young Woman like a hundred times. Exactly. Like easy. Exactly. I would revisit that at least once a year because it's it's that type of movie. I wish that they would re-release Nomadland into the theaters yes. because I would love to go see it on a big screen. That's how it was meant to be. Right, I mean, exactly, they... but we missed it, right? <laughs> no, like, I watched it know? on my screen where my speakers messed up and just shakes the TV. <laughs> right. I would love to go see it on a on a, a big screen. But the answer to your question is Yes, Hollywood will always be that way, which is why artists like me have to forge their own road. It's something yeah. I've been doing my entire life, and I'm getting better at it, and I plan to keep doing it until the day I drop. And being sober makes my focus so much better, and it makes what I want, my objectives, to come into clearer view, and uh, the road there becomes clearer, you know, uh, and... And the ability to, to... The ability to get there. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so if you don't want me... And I used to I used to actually be like, no, I want to perform for straight people. That's what I want to do. Like, I don't... Because all the bookers, they'd be like, well, maybe we'll have you in for a gay weekend. Or yeah. So maybe we'll do a gay-oriented uh, job. Like, you know, great. We were just talking, like, we only yeah. work in June. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, everybody, yeah. you want to come to our Pride <laughs> show? No, I'd like to do your Thanksgiving show, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, actually, I don't want to do a Thanksgiving show. But, um... I sent Jeff, uh, it was a June, he's like, oh, are you booked on this Pride show? And I was like, of course. And then I sent him a picture of a tumbleweed and was like, this is gay comics in July. Yeah. Like, that's that's real. Yeah, it is. And I used to fight that, right? And I used to say, no, I don't just want to perform for gay people. I want to perform straight. And now I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to lean into building a gay audience because they're, most of them are liberal anyway. They believe, you know, if I'm in front of a big gay crowd and I say, who's vaccinated? They all go nuts, right? <laughs> um, it, you know, like it's, and, and like you said, they have money. So I'm going to lean into that. And, and if the straights want to come along, you're more than welcome to come along. I will need them to read my books, um, <laughs> you know, and watch my movies. But, you know, I, I'm going to lean into it, especially with the little smaller theaters. And you want, I mean, I always think the goal, because one of the things I hate about bars is you show up at the bar and you do a show and no one, uh, maybe they're there for Jeff D, but like I show up, no one's there for Amanda G. Maybe two friends I had, but like, I don't know who's at that bar. I don't know what their beliefs are. Like when you start building your niche audience, they come in with this, like you don't have to come out on stage. They already know you're gay. You can already, you know, you don't have to do all those different pieces. Like you have your audience that already has the same like core beliefs essentially as you yeah. do. Well, and they that, bought a ticket. Well, I, you know, but when I'm at a club, you know, the buy a ticket but they don't necessarily know who the hell I am they just know it's going to be funny because it's because the club told them it was going to be funny club, yeah but you know a bar is always uh, somebody's shit face and talking back to you and you know there's just always something in a bar and I'm tired of it you know and even if it is all and I, I've had a lot of great bar shows you know I've, I've had a lot of fun in bars I'm just I'm just ready for the next yeah. step yeah. And I will go back to this because I know you shit on the prom, but um, I do want to. I want to talk about like why why it affects me so much, and uh -huh. I think it's this uh, for me. It's the wish that this movie existed when I was in my teen years, mm -hmm. um, because I do think this this visibility is important, even if it's watered down in a way to make it palatable. I still find like um, a, it's a, a queer movie that has Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman and people that can literally pick any project that they want. 
And here they are choosing to do this movie about a lesbian that can't go to her prom or that they cancel her prom because she's a lesbian and they want to get that message out there. And it's like maybe if Meryl Streep is like gays are cool, then like other people, people that are her niche audience, you know, older white ladies might get on board with that. And I just I find that so powerful and important. I agree because it's for young people. Do you know, I I used to love the movie Rent or not the movie. I loved the the musical Rent. Mm -hmm. Right. I'd never seen it live, but I I had the CDs and I listened (laughs) to them constantly and I loved. Yeah. So then the movie comes out. I'm in my, I guess, mid to late 20s. I'm not sure. So mid 20s, maybe. And I go see the movie. You know, Rent is a very, the the musical is very R rated. Right. Mm -hmm. But then they brought it down to PG-13 for the musical. And I was watching. I was like, this is so watered down. I mean, from the director of Harry Potter and Adventures (laughs) in Babysitting, you know, and I'm like, and Home Alone. Right. And so I'm like, this is bullshit, man. And I go outside and I'm pissed off. And I'm like, what the fuck? What did they do to this musical that I love? And I see this young gay kid who was in high school I guess and he's on his cell phone and he's crying and he's talking to his friend and he's like it was so good I love this and I was like well you know what this wasn't made for me yeah right and that's okay right like mm-hmm. and so I the prom was made for those people yeah. and I'm okay with that but I'm a little pissed off they didn't use a dike you know what I mean yeah like, and, I, that's, and- and people are also pissed off. So I thought it was interesting to not to nerd out too much about it, but the two main care, the two lesbians that ended, you know, wanted to go to prom together, Ryan Murphy, the director, wanted to cast queer identifying women to mm-hmm. play these two roles. And then the other main gay character is played by James Corden. Right who is not queer at all, and a lot of people had opinions oh, on that. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> Anybody who thinks that James Corden is straight is out of their fucking mind. But go on. But maybe Ryan Murphy <laughs> knew what he was doing maybe there. Maybe he did, yeah. But I, I thought, I was like, why would you specifically say, like, these two characters have to be played by queer-identifying women so that they can understand it, and then this guy, we're like, just, you go ahead. But you know what? I, I also think it's really dangerous when it comes to acting for us to get into all of that, you know, uh, I just... I actually had a callback for a movie today where the character is gay. And I'm like, you know, hey, if you're going to hire a gay for this gay character, I'm a gay. You know what I mean? But don't, you know, like, uh, make, put me in the movie. Don't don't go controversial with it because I'll start it on Twitter. But, uh, you know, I, I was, but to me that's, uh, well, there are so many more important things going on in the world and the things we have to fight for, you know, that, that, Uh, the important issues facing our community and we've come so far and that issue, the issue of what actor can play what role is such a, an unimportant issue, right? If we're living in a utopia, maybe we can start to talk about that because then maybe we, we need something, right? But to me, that's a distraction on Twitter while trans people are being killed every day. You know, that, that talking about, you know, uh, what artist is allowed to do this art? What writer is allowed to write about this? What, you know, this, this gatekeeping of art has got to end, right? If you don't like it, don't buy the ticket, right? I think, and I, you know, people can say, yes, but cis white voices are the ones that have been up, upheld. I agree with that, and I think we need more voices, but we don't have to tell people they can't create in order to uplift other voices, right? Like, mm-hmm. so to me, that's that's silly, right? James Corden, let him sing his little fucking gay heart out, because again, you have to think about He's a famous person and people will tune in, right? You know, you have to think, they're they're dealing with money, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just, 
you know, they don't make movies to fail. No, they uh, make movies to make money. Correct. You know, and so to me, the whole debate about who gets to play what when it comes to acting and writing and art, when it comes to creating art, is just a, a redundant, ridiculous conversation to me. You know, I don't care if Scarlett Johansson plays a gay man. I don't care. If I don't like it, I'm not going to watch the movie. Probably wouldn't watch it anyway. You know, but she's a good actor. I don't know what mm -hmm. she can do. You know, like I just... Now, when you talk about people playing other races, now, okay, I get that, right? Well, like that has a, a different layer. Yeah, that's a whole other that, thing, right? That I do find super problematic. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that, you know, but I just, actors are actors and we need to let them be actors and writers are writers. Let them, you know, if someone's, if, if, if a woman, if a cis straight white woman is inspired by a gay kindergartner and she wants to write that a uh, story about a little boy who's gay in kindergarten. Why can't she write that? Right? Like, because yeah. here's my thing. You never know who will be touched by someone's art, right? Whether they ought to have written it mm -hmm. or not. Right. You never know who's going to have it change something in them. So I believe yeah. all art should be, should be out there. And let me just say this real quick. I hear a lot of my fellow liberals talking about how much they hate Nazis and hate fascism. But when you start to talk about art that's dangerous or art that's not allowed, you sound like a fucking Nazi to me. Literally what the Nazis did. Correct. But yeah. <laughs> so. But you don't know how it's going to talk. Like, you don't know if you're going to be the kid outside of rent on his phone crying his eyes out. No. You know, and that's, that was an important moment for that could have changed that kid's life. You yep. Know? Directed by a straight white man, that movie, you know, and it probably did. Listen, nowadays, people, young people look at the birdcage and say it's problematic because it was stereotypical mm -hmm. and, you know, but it was written by a straight white woman, directed by a straight white man. Of course, we could always use more people of color and everything that we do. But when I was 19 years old and coming out of the closet, that movie came out, maybe, maybe I was 20, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. But when I was young. Yeah. It was so awesome, like just like you said, to see representation on the screen, even though the lead was actually a straight actor. Although I question how straight Robin Williams was. But, you know. Questioning everybody. You know, they're artists. Artists fuck everything. You know, like it was so awesome to see gays on screen and it be a big movie and lots of people going. Every gay in Lake Charles, Louisiana was in that auditorium. You know, they talk about how Tu Wong Fu is problematic because it's three straight men playing drag queens. But every gay in Lake Charles, Louisiana was there at seven yeah. o'clock on Friday night to see that movie and we howled with laughter. So maybe it's problematic now, but when I was younger, it was important to see Yeah, it, it lets you know that, you know, this exists. Mm -hmm. I also think it's a big deal for straight men to play queer characters. Like, yeah. I think, like, having Wesley fucking Snipes, like, playing a queer character says something and m maybe makes someone else more comfortable with who they are. Absolutely. And these, we don't give movies enough credit for sort of helping with the tide change in point of view. You know, I mean, you can really kind of, when Brokeback Mountain came out, that was right at that precipice where people were starting to change their minds, right? And I think it, that's a sad fucking movie. Oh, and it had terrible. two hot straight men in it and people watched it, Yeah, you know? And um, it did well money-wise and yeah. made money. It won 
ton of awards. It, it didn't you know. win as many as it should have. I'm looking at you, Crash. Whatever. <laughs> Nobody watches Crash anymore. Good God. Not, that, I'm not even talking about the cool Crash, the David Cronenberg Crash, where Holly Hunter, you know, gets in a car wreck and they screw each other after car wrecks. Did you ever see that no. one? That was great. I'm talking about the racism Crash. <laughs> Fuck that movie. Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain was where it was at. It was a beautiful movie. Yeah. And, and I think that those movies, while we can get into the nitty gritty about, again, who's allowed to tell it, who's mm. allowed to, you know, I mean, did you know that the screenplay for Brokeback Mountain, the guy that won an Oscar for it, also wrote Lonesome Dove in terms of endearment? You know, like yeah. Larry McMurtry is this straight white man who lives in Texas, right? And he wrote a beautiful love story. Beautiful, well, it was based on a short story, but Terms of Endearment is also beautiful. Yes. I, I think that art is important. Don't like any conversations where we begin to talk about what is allowed, what is not allowed. I, I mean, racism is clearly not good. You, you yeah. don't have a white guy playing a, a Chinese person in a movie, right? Or a black person in a movie. You know, I don't like talking about dangerous art or stories that should not be told. Yeah. I say I don't like talking about it, and I've done it for 20 minutes. <laughs> like, you definitely have opinions on it. I do. <laughs> uh, well, we'll shift gears, because we're going to be wrapping up soon. Oh, but, okay. Um, but I want to know what's next for Jeff D. I mean, I know, you know, you're looking into to filmmaking, into writing, mm -hmm. gay PI books, uh, into getting yes. your PI license, all that stuff. Um, still doing comedy, I'm acting. not getting my gay PI license. I'm writing no, gay oh, PI yeah, you got books. The, yes. You got the certificate. I've got the, well, I passed, <laughs> I got the highest score in the class, by the way. Do they tell everybody that, though? No. I got like a 98. <laughs> Believe me, that, looking at the other people in that class, I, I got the highest score, and it's completely believable. Um, but it was, I was the irritating person asking questions because I was always, I was going with my stories. I was like, well, what if this happened? You know, like, everybody else just wants to know how to frame uh, the camera for a cheater. Um, <laughs> what? What we're oh, what's next? Yeah. Well, I'm, I have to come up with a name for a production company because I want to do a production company. And that production company will produce films and it will... I'm, I'm going to school to learn how to make movies. Um, I'm going to get my master's in film production and do comedy on the weekends. I want to do the theaters. I want to get out of the bars. But if you want to hire me to do a bar show, I'm still available. I still need the money. Please reach out. You know, take it to the more theatrical level. And I want to make movies. I want to have a production company that cranks out shitty little horror and comedy movies and gives me enough money to make the artistic films I want to make. And I want to write detective novels. And I want to be rich. And I want a house <laughs> on, the, on a lake. And I okay. want everybody to leave me alone. Except for the hot people I invite over. Uh, when I say hot, I mean intellectually as well. You know, not just people I'm attracted to. I mean, Amanda, you can come to my pool oh, party. Thank you. But there will be hot naked boys there. And dicks and cocaine. Dicks and cocaine. <laughs> Everywhere. I think your production company should be called Here's the Thing. Here's the Thing production. See, but it's got to, I want it to be like. Because that's what you say a lot. <laughs> right. Here's, oh, I do. <laughs> yeah. You're like, here's the thing about art. Right. Here's the here's thing the about dicks and cocaine. <laughs> right. I, I want it to, to read right on like, for like a. Publishing, you know, I don't want people to pick up the book and go, well, he clearly self-published this. You know, yeah. I want it to sound like, like John Grisham in the time like to kill. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I want, you know, plume or signet or, but I also don't want it to be boring, like plume or signet, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Yeah. All right, well, can you let everyone know where they can find you? I know you got a website. JeffDComedy.com is my website. You can go there and follow me on 
Facebook, Instagram, and ignore me on Twitter like everybody else. <laughs> Jeff D. Comedy. You can get my uh, album April available on all um, digital platforms. Just type in Jeff D. April. You'll see a picture of me in a uh, drunk straight white bitch in a bachelorette party outfit. And um, that's that's it, I guess. All right, well, thanks so much for doing the podcast again. I love doing you this came podcast. came back for more. I that's... know. I want to do it again. We'll do it again <laughs> in three years. We I will. Guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you'll be too famous with your production company. No, I, I want to be rich with my production okay. company, not famous. And rich, I would, I'd be happy to come and do this because we'll put you in a movie, Amanda. Yeah. And you, maybe we should do the next one from my hot naked boy cocaine pool party. Yes, from you know the I mean? from the sauna. Yeah, like or we'll just spa. get the stuff yeah. out there, and we'll, we'll be doing massages. Someone will be doing massages, and we'll record through the the thing yeah. where you put your head. I, I want like a cigar called, but... <laughs> and my tits to be like hanging right on the top of the bubbling water. You like, know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're like perfect. Just naked guys walking in the background. You yeah. know what I mean? Big while you say very dicks. serious things. Yes, while I'm like, you know, you know. Here's the thing about, uh, you know, yes. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, now it's going to be in your head forever. I'm sorry. Maybe that I should name my podcast Here's the Thing. That's a good podcast. Yeah, name. that's a good okay. podcast name. I know somebody probably, there are probably six Here's the Things. But again, There's, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Because I'm going for my own audience. Exactly. I'll be there. Here's the Thing podcast. We're so. the only near and queer to my heart. I thought See? someone would have had that. Nope. Nope. And now they can't because I will fucking sue them. Nope. And it's a great, <laughs> and this is only yours. This is going to be huge. Yeah. It's going to blow the fuck up. You should up. start near and queer productions. I, I, I should. I don't have as much ambition as you do. One day. One yeah. day. This is this has been really fun, though. Yeah. And thanks so much for doing this again. Always. Thank you for having me. And we're done. <laughs> and that's a wrap. Thank you to Jeff D. for sharing his world with us. Again. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for creating our theme music. We'd love to see you on social media. We're on Twitter at Queer to My Heart, on Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. And if you're old school, shoot us an email, nearandqueertomyheart at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.